Yeah. Like, Good afternoon, Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. We're here live with uh, Ron from Johnson. As he's happy and terrible day, I guess. We're going to review some new stuff that happened over the weekend that I'm sure everyone knows about, like the Russian rebellion. desk. All right. It's great. It's going great so far. Okay. Today on Before Coffee, Italian stack party charged with causing public alarm after prank kidnapping. Two defense ministers seen in videos since mercenary revolt as uncertainty swirls. All right. Aid wins local election and watershed moment for German politics. No signs of, no sign of threat from hazardous train that plunged into Yellowstone River, regulators say. Still nurturing love and vines, the centurion who built Barcelona's first roof guardian. Garden, sorry. And what is happening in the housing market as we investigate? Well, housing market price, our housing prices crash today on the, ah, what day is it again? <laughs> 26. June 26, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Get into our first news story here, coming out of Italy. Stack party ended with nine men being charged with causing public alarm after. Oh, I forgot to update my thing. There we go. After they engaged in an ill-advised but well-curated prank kidnapping of the groom, armed with pellet guns and wearing balaclavas and black helmets, the group aged between 23 and 31, which I'm not surprised. Uh, about the ages here, turned up at their friend's home in Trofarello, a small town on the outskirts of Turin, gagged him and loaded him into the back of a van before speeding off. But the sun of Saturday did not quite go according to plan. The men were reportedly pretending to be ISIS terrorists. That's a bit aged. That's a bit aged. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Like, they should at least pretend to be, like, Russians or something. That's more of a recent phenomenon. Police immediately descended on the town after being inundated with calls from weird neighbors. An elderly man watching the scene from his window fainted. Police checkpoints were set up across the area as a hunt was launched to find the kidnappers and their captive. The van was found outside the home of one of the men. The groom, still inside, was unaware that this was all a joke. Torino Today reported... Police seized the fake weapons, helmets, and balaclavas, and clothing and poles in with references to ISIS, while charging the men for triggering a panic. That's just a really short story there about just, you know, Italians having a good time and then causing everyone a panic. Like, please stop. That's not a good prank. It's an aged prank. It's not a good prank. Let's be honest here. Um, How many casualties? No casualties except for the old man who fainted at his window. He might have bumped his oh, head. Yeah. Right. So. Okay. And and Russians who need to stay from tall buildings knows. 
Russian Defense Minister, this is from AP Associated Press. Russian Defense Minister, Sergei, I got a warning, this comes with words I'm not going to be able to pronounce. Russian Defense Minister, Sergei Sogu, Sogu, there's the first word, made his first appearance since, since a mercenary uprising demanded his ouster, inspecting troops in Ukraine in a video released Monday projecting a sense of order after the century's most serious political crisis in the country's most serious political crisis in decades. But uncertainty still swirled about his fate and that of the rebellion leader Yergei Prigozhin and his private army, the impact of the war in Ukraine and even the political future of Vladimir Putin. A feud between Wagner Group leader Rogozin and Russia's military brass that has festered throughout the war erupted into the mutiny that saw the mercenaries leave Ukraine to seize a military headquarters in southern Russia and march seemingly unopposed for hundreds of miles towards Moscow before turning around after less than 24 hours on Saturday. Most pathetic coup in the history of coups, by the way. The Kremlin said it had made the deal that Prigozhin would move to Belarus and receive an amnesty along with his soldiers. Oh, isn't that sweet? I'm sure none of them will turn. There was no confirmation of his whereabouts on Monday, although the popular Russian news channel on Telegram reported that we've seen a hotel, hopefully a one-story hotel, in Belarus capital, Minsk. The Russian media reported a criminal probe against Vergozin continued and some lawmakers called for his head. Don't worry, it won't be long. In return, <laughs> I'm just saying, man, this guy's days are numbered. In return for at least, at least superficial normalcy, Moscow mayoral announced that the end of the counterterrorism regime imposed on the capital Saturday when troops and armored vehicles were set up at checkpoints in the outskirts and authority store roads leading to the cities. City Defense Minister Ministry video of, of Shogi came under. I'm sorry, Shoigu came under. Russian media speculated that even you know, other militaries have lost Putin's confidence and could be replaced. Shoigu was shown in the helicopter, and that's the name of the defense minister. I keep her mispronouncing, or dispronouncing, which I'm mispronouncing, mispronouncing is dispronouncing. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> this dude was shown in the helicopter and then meeting with officers in the military headquarters in Ukraine. The video was widely broadcast in Russian media, including state-controlled television. It was unclear when it was shot. Well, it's propaganda. What do you want? General Stav... General Staff Chief General Valery, here we go again, Gerasimov, also a major target of Rogozin's dire, has not appeared in public. Well, he might not be around. It was, he's busy having a sandwich. It was unclear. It was, what would ultimately happen to Perozin and his forces under the deal reportedly brokered by Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko, yep, to Lukashenko, right? Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said Saturday that Putin has given his word to Bergosin that he would be allowed to go to Belarus. Oh yeah, you can go there. The IRA Novisti State 
which the news agency cited unidentified sources in the prosecutor general's office is saying the criminal case against Bergozin hasn't been closed despite earlier Kremlin statements. The Interfax News Agency carried a similar report. Should the case continue, Bergozin's presence in Belarus is staunch. Kremlin ally would offer little protection against his arrest and extradition. It was unclear what resources of Rogozin has to draw on and how many of his substantial wealth he can access. Police searching St. Peter's searching at St. Peter's Logs office in the Days Rebellion found four million four billion rubles in trucks outside the building. You wanna guess how much four billion rubles is in dollars? It's forty-eight million dollars. So a ruble is okay. not worth it. That's like, yeah, it doesn't seem like a ruble is worth it. That's a lot of money penny. still, but it's not like, yeah, it's not a billion. It seems like a, it seems like a ruble is less than a penny. Several. I'm not doing math right now, so reading and doing math can't do it. Several Russian lawyers called for eight height or eight. Several Russian lawmakers called for tight regulations for private military companies under a new set of laws to be considered, and some argue that Rosen must be punished. Um, I'm going to go ahead and cut the story story and say this guy's probably going to be killed by one of his own troops for a bounty. That's my prediction. Your story. That's your prediction, huh? All right, well, we'll see what happens in the coming days concerning that exciting uh, development in the Ukraine. Russian war, whatever we're calling it these days. In the unstable an article from, Putin. sorry? The unstable Putin and the even more unstable mercenaries. Yeah. In an article from Kate Connolly in Berlin on The Guardian, the far-right AFD wins a local election in a watershed moment for German politics. The far-right alternative für Deutschland has won a district council election in Germany for the first time in what is being referred to as a watershed moment in the country's politics. The eastern town of Sonnesburg in the state of Thuringia elected Robert Sesselmann to the post of district administrator, the equivalent of a mayor, with a 52.8% of the vote. Ousting the, Ch the Christian Democrat CDU, Jürgen Koper, on the 47.2% of the vote. The, the Thuringia branch of the anti-immigrant party has been classed as a right-wing extremist by intelligence services. You should probably just not let it exist then, especially in Germany. I'm just saying, <laughs> let's be cautious here. Uh, oh, they just hate immigrants. Oh, first they hate immigrants, and then they hate you. <laughs> I'm just saying. Aren't you an immigrant? Anyway. Don't trust anybody who hates immigrants because they don't hate they hate people. They don't hate immigrants. Uh, it is led by Bjorn Hulk, who is the considered to be part of the AFD's far right or Volkish wing, which was the officially disbanded but is still widely believed to exist. No kidding. Observers say the, the win, which AFD's leadership said would give the party a much-needed boost in its efforts to expand its influence across Germany, could be a bellwether for upcoming votes, in particular in the East. State parliament elections are taking place next year in Saxony, Thuringia, and Brandenburg. Established parties from the Social Democrats to the CDU, as well as civil society organizations, called the result a turning point in which defenders of democracy would be forced to find a way of responding. Central Council of Jews in Germany said it was devastated by the result. To be clear, 
Not everyone who voted for the AFD has a right-wing extremist mindset, its president, Yosef Skutzer, told the Judish Allgemeine newspaper. But the party whose candidate they have elected is, according to regional and intelligence service, right-wing extremist. This is the bursting of a dam, which the political powers in this country cannot simply take on the chin. Christoph Humber, the executive vice president of the International Auschwitz Committee, called it a sad day for Sonnenberg, Germany, and democracy. A major majority of voters have turned their backs on democracy and deliberately decided in favor of a right-wing extremist, Nazi-dominated party of destruction, he said. Why is it allowed to exist if it's a Nazi-dominated Nazi party in Germany? Like, hello? Oh, freedom of ideas. No. Fascism is not freedom of ideas. Fascism is taking away everyone else's freedom of ideas and saying this is the only idea that's allowed to exist. You cannot tolerate the intolerant, okay? That's... I just don't understand. Yeah. I'm getting really angry. What about, Sorry? What's rights? Yeah. What the criminal? I just... Right? As somebody Same who studied, studied Europe for three years for my bachelor's degree, I cannot believe this is happening right now. And I said, nothing I can do about it, right? Just, hey, let's just far-right parties. Let's just let them exist. It's fine. Everything's gonna turn out great for me. The rest of you, yeah. though, uh, who knows? <laughs> it's, job. it's our job to list. let the humans fail and report on it. That's kind of our <laughs> job here. Not as human. This little, you know. Yeah. Let them Sonnenberg, which has about 57,000 inhabitants, is one of Germany's smallest administrative regions, and voter protection was as low as just 58%. However, the result's mm -hmm. significance goes far beyond the town itself, and this was being recognized across the country on Monday. Political scientists called it a warning to the established parties, which had joined forces and along with other organizations such as trade unions, urged voters to abandon any existing party loyalties and back Popper in an effort to squeeze Sesselman out of the running, a move that appears to have backfired. The FD's procurement of the most important political office in Sonnesburg coincides with some of the strongest nationwide polling results recently of between 18 and 20 percent. Its rise in support has been at least part due down to the disgruntlement over fighting within the center-left federal coalition government. So, latest polls show the AFD on 20% more than double its support was a year ago and slimmer to the so Social Democrats, with the Greens on 13% and the opposition CDU on 26%. The AFD was founded in 2013 by a group of Eurosceptic academics and bankers and later campaigned on an anti-immigrant ticket, entering the national parliament for the first time in 2017. I'm so disappointed. As part of its campaign, Sesselman called for the governor of Olaf Scholz to strive for peace agreement with Moscow over its invasion of Ukraine and opposed Germany's military support to Kiev. Man, they're just striking all the bad notes <laughs> that I don't like. <laughs> Bodo Ramelov, the state leader of the Thuringia from the far left, Die Linke, called Sonnenberg's election result a signal of dissatisfaction. A signal of dissatisfaction. He called for a debate to redefine the spirit of German unity in which he can take East Germans with us rather than triggering the feeling that they are being laughed at or merely being talked about. Tino Churapuala, a co-leader of the AFD, tweeted, That was just the beginning. We will convince the majority with our politics of showing an interest in the people. This is how we will turn the tide for better. I mean, they definitely have the interest in people. As in people they don't like. 
so we will see what happens in the future in Germany. Hopefully this is just a random uh, happenstance, but we'll see what happens. Your next story. Okay, so in our... Uh, I was trying to find a good news story, but I'll do that. I'll, I'll make, combine these two stories, so why not? All right. All right, so in derailment news, no train derailment. We always try to highlight the train derailments just in case people think they don't happen all the time. They do. They just do. It's like an odd thing. It's a normal. It's like three a day, maybe, perhaps, in the United States. So we have another one today. Uh, yes, uh, yesterday. In the Yellowstone River in Montana. This is from AP again. Preliminary testing of water and air quality along a stretch of Yellowstone River where the train cars carrying hazardous materials fell into the waterway during following a bridge collapse did not indicate any threat to the public, state and federal officials said on Sunday. The seven mangled cars that carried hot asphalt and molten sulfur remained in the rushing river a day after the bridge gave way near the town of Columbus about 40 miles west of Billings, Montana. The area is sparsely populated, section of Yellowstone River Valley, surrounded by ranch and farmland. Preliminary results, water quality sampling did not show petroleum hydrocarbons, which would have come from the asphalt or sulfur. Kevin Stone, spokesman for the Montana Department of Environmental Quality said, but do not dissolve when they enter water and display. Water quality testing will continue until the cleanup is complete. And at this time, there are no known risks to public, he said. The water testing is being done by contractors working for the train's operator, Montana Rail Link. While the Montana Department of Environmental Quality and Federal Environmental Protection Agency are overseeing, Stone said. Meanwhile, contractors monitoring the air downwind of the derailment for the EPA have not detected any toxic gases said Rich Mylot, spokesperson for the agency regional office. Water testing began Saturday and will continue throughout the cleanup of the derailment site. All right, so that's the short and sweet for that one, but I just wanted to cut that short to do some good news about the infrastructure for the change, right? Here's some good news. Yay, good Yay. news. The third portion of I-95 in Philadelphia reopens ahead of schedule. The damaged portion of Interstate 95 in Philadelphia, which collapsed 12 days ago, has been repaired and reopened ahead of schedule, Pennsylvania. Governor Josh Shapiro announced the demolished roadway rebuilt I-95 in just 12 days. Through, what, through that process, we showed the nation what Philadelphia and Pennsylvania are all about, Shapiro said, speaking at a press conference on Friday morning. Engine 38 of the Philadelphia Fire Department led the first vehicles across the section of repaired highway. They have been the first ones on the scene when the section of northbound I-95 through the city was damaged in a tanker truck accident on June 11th. We acknowledge the loss of the tanker truck driver, Nathan Moody, and thank the first responders who put out the fire in the initial hours of the accident. Six lanes of I-95 and reopened motorists, and I must say it's a great road. I just drove over it to get here. Thank President Joe Biden for his personal attention, along with U.S. Transportation is a hard word now. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg and Philadelphia Mayor Jim Kinney, along with others noting that their help and collaboration. This is a moment of civic pride for Philadelphia. We work together, we can get stuff done. So there you go. 
People working together get stuff done. We, we can did do it. it folks. I don't know. I don't know exactly why I collapsed from bridge and then fixing it. Twenty-two days later, or twelve days later, twelve oh. days later, is days later. a representation of Philadelphia. But you know, take what you can get. Take what you can get. It's more than just Philadelphia. It's the federal government, it's the state government, and the local government. And I got it done in 12 days. This is ridiculous. It's a six-month project, my friend. It is. Right. I mean, because let's bid it, let's put it up for bid, let's make sure that everybody gets their kickbacks, and let's delay it. <laughs> yeah, right. Red tape, red tape, red tape. Okay. Yeah. In uh, more news about infrastructure, I guess, in a way. We've got an article from Steven Birkin in Barcelona about roof gardens. Because you have to be very careful with roof gardens because plants do like destroying anything they come compact to get water. So you, if you grow a tree on your roof, that tree will destroy your roof, okay? <laughs> to look right. for water. So you got to be very well managing your roof garden. When Joan Carula Figuris turned the roof terrace of his Barcelona apartment into a garden, it was one. It was out of nostalgia for his rural origins. 65 years later, the ecological concept he has long followed have become commonplace, and he is acclaimed as a pioneer of organic farming. Carula, Carula, I can't say his name, but it's Spanish, so I should be able to say it, but I can't roll my R's because I, I'm a failure at rolling R's. Carula who celebrated his 100th birthday this year. Wow. It's credited for creating the city's first roof garden. However, his allotment in the sky boasts far more than the usual tomato plants and pots of geraniums. It is home to more than 40 fruit, fruit trees. That's crazy. Growing fruit trees on top of your house. That's heavy. Vines that produce 100 kilograms or 220 pounds of grapes a year. Olives, peaches, figs, garlics, aubergines, and even potatoes. Or eggplant, for the Americans, not aubergines. He is passionate about potatoes. I think he's one, brave, courageous, but also insane. <laughs> like, oh, the roof is leaking, and then it collapses on top of you. That's what I'd be scared of. <laughs> 40 fruit trees. The civil war in Spain in the 1930s made me a vegetarian through, necessi through necessity, then conviction. Potato by potato, he says. For breakfast, we ate potatoes. At lunchtime, more potatoes than with an egg, I shared with my father. In the evening, potatoes with vegetables. Sitting beneath the grapevine on an upturned beer crate, his eyes bright and his hearing and memory astonishingly sharp. He reminisces about the world he grew up in, how he became interested in vegetarianism in the 1950s when he moved to Barcelona from Juneda, a village with a harsh climate in the Catalan interior. Catalan, Catalan, however you want to say it. He approached to his approach to agriculture is what today we call organic, but Carula insists he's not doing anything new and that poor farmers have always practiced organic farming out of necessity. My grandparents had little land and no money for fertilizer. They used animal and vegetable waste and straw. We lived in a frugal, we lived a frugal life. We didn't go hungry, we just lived. And that's what I want everyone to do today, is just live. Don't think about having these crazy dreams. It's okay to have crazy dreams, but don't find your life to that crazy dream, you know? It's okay to just have an organic garden on your roof 
eat some potatoes, you know, and at least you're alive, you know, that's what they say. Like its forebears, Kaluda makes compost from everything, including old magazines and thin wooden fruit boxes. There's almost nothing we don't use. Everything decomposes, eventually. <laughs> I don't know why I read that ominously. Everything is... With his family and a team of builders from Junana, he spent 14 years building the block, the flats that he jokingly calls our Sagrada Familia. After Barcelona celebrated Basilica, which took decades to build and is still incomplete. They strengthened the terrace with a double layer of tiles and sheets of impenetrable, oh, sorry, impermeable metal material and ins installed an undersoil drainage network to cope with the 70 tons of soil or 20 and 25 centimeters or 10 inches deep on the roof. They created a system for collecting and storing 9,500 liters of rainwater rainwater so there are still reserves in dry periods though this has barely sufficed during catalonia's drought which has lasted for nearly three years on his long journey through life carula has recorded his thoughts on a manual olivetti typewriter for which his son tony has had to scour the city to find replacement ribbons for if the war made him a vegetarian and also made him a pacifist pacifist he was 15 when Juneda was bombed and strafed by fascist warplanes. Kaluda speaks with a sorrow of the 170 people killed in the village and how the reprisals carried out by both sides at the end of the war broke his father's spirit and drove his mother to an early grave. She was one of the war's silent victims, he said. I think she died from pain and suffering. He also talks about how the age, at the age of 10, he had an epiphany when he vowed to become an un generador de amor, someone who generates love. I don't know where this phrase came from, but I decided that what I had to do was to create love in everyone. Universal love. Hell yeah, that's another... I love this guy. This, this guy's my hero. He attributes his longevity, longevity to never having smoked or drunk alcohol, as well as the, his vegetarian diet, and because I have always enjoyed my work, as a small businessman and farmer, in daily contact with my beloved plants, and because I have banished envy and hatred from my mind. I think there have been some studies that showed that people who are happy more are actually more healthy than anybody else, right? If you're just happy, you're happy about being alive, you live longer. What a concept, I know. I've lived in the city for almost 70 years, but I've got farmer's hands, and I'm proud of that. Although it seems that after so many years working the soil, my hands weren't made for scrolling on a mobile phone. One of his great joys is when school organizes visits to his gardens. Over the past 15 years, dozens of children have passed through here. It was a dream of mine when I started this allotment to create a slice of the countryside in the city to teach children how to love plants. So there you go. That's your positive, uplifting, don't give up story on a Monday when everyone's like, ugh. Mondays. So, that's to your next story. With the Lorax. Okay, so, we're, we're going to cover, last week we covered, I think it was last week, because my mind's kind of foggy. Last week we covered falling, tumbling, crashing housing prices in New Zealand. Well, it's starting to become a trend worldwide, especially places that have raised interest rates. And this is from Realtor.com, so it's from the Realtor point of view, and their headline says, 
Falling mortgage rates, lower home prices. Welcome to the housing market's new reality. This, the historically busy summer real estate market is officially here. When it comes to double, it comes with a double dose of good news for buyers. Mortgage rates fell for the third week in a row, hitting 6.67. For the average of 30-year fixed rate mortgage, uh, mortgage for the week ending June 22nd, according to Pretty Mac, that's down from a previous week's 6.69. And buyers can continue to celebrate last week's significant milestone home prices when median listing prices declined for the first time in Realtor.com data history. Of course, they've only been doing this since 2017. And for the week ending June 17, prices declined and even further 0.9% from what they were a week earlier, a year, a year earlier, sorry. So what does this portend for buyers in today's largely unforgiving real estate landscape? We'll break down what the latest housing data means for home buyers and sellers in our latest installment and how's the housing market this week? On a micro level, mortgage rates barely trickled down for a week, but on the macro level, rates are down 0.12%, 0.12% since the week ending June 1st, when rates were 6.79. Enjoying the real estate markets inch by inch, march toward affordability is the decline in median home prices, with the typical asking price registering just less than 1% lower than a year ago. Notes Realtor.com Chief Economist Danielle Hale in her week last June saw a medium all time high of $449,000. But as of May, that number had dropped to $441. As Hale puts it, any decline is a welcome listing price relief to cash strapped buyers. However, buying costs are still elevated. The decline in median home prices can be partly chalked up to sellers reducing asking prices on stale properties. This is a sign that home sellers are reacting and shifting market conditions are at least somewhat aware that still high mortgage rates mean higher monthly housing costs for buyers. Yet the fact that some prices are no longer rising might discourage some new sellers that were hoping to cash in on a record high home equity. They're always blaming home sellers for these prices when it's basically almost entirely it's speculators. It's real estate investors and speculators that drive these prices high. They buy a house, they turn it around and sell it. They buy a house, they turn it around and sell it. They people trying to sell their family home that are driving these prices. Some of these articles are silly. Real estate's less rosy home selling realty could be stopping home sellers from listing their homes entirely. This week ending June 12th, of course, this is written by a realtor company and they're talking about their customers and what they can tell them, you know. What can you do to save your company from going into the shitter <laughs> kind of thing? Not a company. We're talking about real, this is realtor.com. And they're trying yeah. to get customers. Customers are always single family homeowners. So they're trying to tailor this article to them saying, what drives the prices is single family homeowners, not a single family homeowner. It's investors that ruin the market. It's people buying time. 15 million apartments and then never selling them. Speculators. Well, people yeah. buying homes. This is about home ownership. People buying homes and selling them. Nobody ever lives in them. They just buy them, fix them up, resell them for flippers. profit. And yeah, flippers. Our, our, don't, our don't fix them up. They buy trouble homes and resell them. 
Anyway, so the realtor people are are, are uh, trying to work the customer here, saying, you know, you know, the the people that are really driving this are these individual homeowners that are scraping by. No, <laughs> not really. People who just want to raise a family inside of a building instead of in a box somewhere. Those assholes! No. How dare they? People that want to invest, that want to own a piece of what they own, instead of just paying some shitty shadowy rent company for, rent. Yeah. The so-called American dream. While the pool of homes sale continued to grow last week, the overall look, outlook for summer home buyers looking for plenty of properties to choose it from isn't great. In a nutshell, the number of homes for sale shot up in 2022 when mortgage rates were just beginning to climb and the buyers and sellers were desperate to lock in a low mortgage rate. Today, the homeowners have less incentive to sell. So again, What's, what's happening is the interest rates are raised up to a, put, to a point where they had uh, stalled home buying. The prices were already too high to stall home buying. But the desired effect is that they will cool inflation somehow this way. But it does, it does have a negative uh, uh, impact on inflation when housing prices do not go up. So that's good news. Your story. Okay. Cultural news of the Monday today. What happened over the weekend? Well, of course, the famous Glastonbury Festival where a bunch of people go into a mud pit and get full of mud. I, that's famously what I know about Glastonbury Festival. Lots and lots of mud everywhere, just mud. So, <laughs> of course, what people really go there for is to watch some of their favorite acts, you know, perform live on stage because it's a music festival while getting full of mud <laughs> and of course who was famously there this weekend elton john as he says goodbye to the british audiences at glastonbury for an emotional evening this is from nos news from the netherlands Elton John has said goodbye to his British audience at Glastonbury. The closing act of the festival was officially the last time the 76-year-old singer performed in front of a large audience on British soil. I better play well and entertain you, he told the crowd in front of the stage at the beginning. He called it an emotional evening. Many gas, many gads, many fans gathered there for their performance. <laughs> it was John's first time at Britain's largest outdoor music festival. Never thought I would ever play here, but here I am. Shortly before, he walked somewhat stiffly in a gold suit to his piano to kick off with an energetic cover of The Who's Pinball Wizard. This was followed by his own hits such as The Bitch is Back, Benny and the Jets, Candle in the Wind, and with film, and with film images of Marilyn Monroe in the background. While well, he did a Candle in the Wind dedicated to Marilyn Monroe. How nice. I know it's about he her wrote, originally. Uh, written by but, Bernie Taupin. Bernie Taupin never gets any credit in any of these article, articles. He wrote all of his songs. Every damn last word of all of his lyrics. He never changed a letter. Hey, go ahead. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. Yeah. He's, a, he's, he's also knighted, by the way. The one was Sir Alton John. Go ahead. Yeah, it's, well, I guess it's because it's British. Uh, this is D Dutch news, right? So they're not going to call him Sir Alton John because it's not British. Uh, not surprise acts at Glastonbury. John had announced several surprise acts for the two-hour show. He said he especially wanted young talent on stage next to him, such as American Steven Sanchez, with whom he played the song Until I Found You, with Killers frontman Brandon Flowers. 
He sang Tiny Dancer shortly afterwards. Dua Lipa, the British Albanian singer with whom John made the, the hit Cold Heart, was not there. The singer urged the audience to sing along with her parts of the lyrics loudly. I wonder why Dua Lipa skipped out. The first, she's British, so she could have, it's not like she couldn't be there, right? She must have been busy with something else. The first fans were already waiting at the front of the stage at 4 a.m.? 4 a.m. in the morning on Sunday. Wow, that's a very early uh, to get the best spot. And they stood there all day in that field being like, I'm, I can't wait till Elton Don gets here, man. He's playing at 8 p.m. and I'm here at 4 a.m. Just to, yeah, just dedication to Elton Don. I mean, it's his last show, so fair enough. Yeah, just a reminder, fan is short for fanatic. <laughs> That's true. Many visitors were decked out in the singer's flamboyant style with large colored grasses. Glasses, not grasses. <laughs> Feathers and sequins. The singer said he really appreciated all the effort. John has been on his farewell tour, Farewell Yellow Brick Road, since September 2018, which I think we talked about last week when uh, he said he was disappointed in the anti-gay law, uh, laws being passed in America. Among the more than 300 trolls worldwide were a month-long American leg, nine month performances at London's O2, and concerts in Arnhem and Amsterdam. After tonight, Elton John was, has seven more performances scheduled, culminating into a concert in Stockholm early next month. More than five million people have had the chance to say goodbye to the singer. All right, so nice, nice Glastonbury, nice goodbye Elton John. Goodbye, Elton John. His last tour in England, or is it just his last I, tour in the world? He's retiring. I, I don't know if you remember yeah. correct uh, from last week, but we talked about how yeah, Elton John was going on a farewell tour, but it got yeah, interrupted yeah. because of COVID. So yes, he he's been going on his farewell tour since 2018, but he had to stop it in the <laughs> middle because of COVID. So. Coming from the guy that went to the Rolling Stones farewell tour in 1989. Yeah. <laughs> farewell tour. That's a yeah. money grab. For what, now. Until, money his grab. Son, until his son's an adult, I think he's not touring until his son's 18. Well, not a world tour, but I'm sure he'll play a concert. I'm sure of it, right? Musicians got to Like somebody was telling me the other day, what does Paul McCartney retire? I'm like, and do what? Bill of the Way play bridge all day. What the fuck he's Paul McCartney? What's he retired for? <laughs> play bridge. Anyway, in this day in history, uh, this day in history, now is the winter of our discontent. What speech is that? What speech? That speech is from what Shakespearean play? It is from... I'll give you one guess. You're not going to tell me, uh, huh? I don't know. <laughs> Richard III. So in this day in history, Richard Plantagenet, Duke of Gloucester, began his reign as Richard III, usurping the power from his nephew, Edward V. So the winter of our discontent is from, if you don't know where that play, what that phrase is from, it's from Shakespeare's Richard III. So all you thespians out there know that. <laughs> anyway, 1721, well, that was in 1483, by the way, way before, way before we understood what Thespianism was. <laughs> 1721, with the support of Puritan minister Cotton Mouther, Jabadil Boylston began the first smallpox. 
vaccinations in the American colonies. So vaccinations are as old as 1721. And George Washington made us get them, you silly people who think that the the, the initial American experiment was, we're not going to force vaccinations on people. Well, they did. And they did it, and they did, and they did, and they keep doing it. This is the history of America. Stop pretending we never did this stuff before. Okay, next story. Our next, uh, 1819, U.S. Army, Army officer Abner Doubleday, once thought to be the inventor of baseball, was born. So, happy birthday. He was still born. It's still his birthday, whether he invented baseball or not. 1904, American motion picture actor Peter Lorre, who first achieved during so famous as a psychotic child murderer in German classic film M, was born in Hungary in a city, I think, pronounced. That was in 1904. Peter Lorre also famously in Casablanca. I don't think it would have brought that up first, but whatever. 1945, the Charter of the United Nations was signed in San Francisco. In 1948, American writer Shirley Jackson's best-known work, the short story The Lottery, was first published in The New Yorker, a tale of powerful allegory of barbarism and social sacrifice. In 1963, during the Cold War, U.S. President John F. Kennedy delivered his famous Ich bin ein Berliner speech in West Berlin. Ich bin ein, and you just had a story about Berlin right there today, did you not? American baseball player Derek Jeter was born on this day in 1974. Elvis Presley performed for the last time in public on this day in 1977. And after Almost 20 years of professional fights, Muhammad Ali announced his retirement from boxing in 1979. J.K. Rowling in 1997 launched a hugely popular book series the Harry, with the Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, also called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone for your purists out there. Okay. And in 2003, did a lot of stuff. 2003, American political silent, American politicians and virulent racist Strom Thurmond died at the age of 100. Yes, he was a racist, but he also fathered a black child, which makes him one of the worst people on earth. So, <laughs> was the worst on earth. Oh yeah, exactly. I hate my own kid. Well, go to hell, Strom Thurmond. Lived to be 100, though. 100 years of being a cranky hypocrite. 2013, the United States versus Windsor, the US Supreme Court struck down the provision of the Defense of Marriage Act. So in 2013, the Supreme Court, 10 years ago, gay marriage was made legal throughout the land for anybody that wanted to make it a state ceremony. 2015, an Ogilvell versus Hodges is US Supreme Court Bans on same-sex marriage were unconstitutional. So exactly two years later, they totally made it, like, whatever. Wait, well, let's read what he says. St ruled that uh, state bans on same-sex marriage were unconstitutional, writing for the majority. Justin Anthony Kennedy stated that no longer may this liberty be denied. Of course, Anthony Kennedy was immediately removed from the Supreme Court by Donald Trump through blackmail and replaced with one of his right-wing appointees okay so 
And okay, in the headlighted biography today, a headlighted event today is the opening of the CN Tower, not the CNN Tower, which opened to the public at this date in 1976, was 1,815 feet, the world's tallest freestanding structure until it being surpassed by another big building in Dubai in the UAE. And the featured birthday today, June 26, Bay Dietrichin Zaharias, Zaharias, famous American woman athlete was born this day in 1911 in Port Arthur, Texas. Also the home of uh, Janis Joplin. 1993, Ariana Grande was born. 1980, Michael Vick was born. 1974, Derek Jeter was born. In 1970, Paul Thomas Anderson, American screenwriter and director was born. And 1908, Salvador Allende, president of Chile was born. Happy birthday to all of them people if they're still alive if they're not well i don't know if your birthday means anything to you anymore if you're not alive <laughs> and what day is it today not too many of them we're not covering martinis anymore the international days in support of victims of torture violence abuse and it's got a lot of things just international day in support of victims National Chocolate Pudding Day. So give your, Vic, your your favorite victim some chocolate pudding and say, sorry that happened to you. You have my empathy. Here's some chocolate unless pudding. They, unless they were assaulted by chocolate pudding, then that yeah, would probably be a... Yeah, that's insensitive. Don't do that. Totally wrong move. But fortunately, the sad, dark days of chocolate pudding assaults are well in the past. International Day Against Drug Abuse and Illicit and dot dot dot. We got the old uh, illicit something. Just don't use, don't abuse drugs. I don't say don't use drugs because I'm about to drink some coffee and that's a drug. <laughs> don't I'm not don't get be, addicted to drugs. I just drink enough coffee to get me going. Make Everything me feel like in moderation as they say. Yeah, moderation is the key, right? If you feel like maybe this is too much, you know what? You're probably right. National Barcode Day is today, so try to read a barcode. Let me see. Line, skinny line, fat line. Okay. Just let one right. National Co Coconut Day. All right. You can put coconut in your chocolate pudding, and that's all the days there is today. All right. Well, this has been Allie here, enjoying the dad jokes as usual. And we will see you tomorrow on Tuesday for more updates on what's happening this week in the news and here's roger from the land of cheese with my aching back saying good morning and take care of each other don't forget to like and subscribe because this is a real news not to say oh no let's report on twitter today <laughs> this is the real news no twitter no smart asses no people just trying to give you tell you oh here's what you gotta think no, none of that. None of that here today. We just read the news on the international, what is it? The comprehensive, comprehensive news of planet Earth and before coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons and follow our other channels. Toxic Alley. History of Gravy and Scratchy Old Records.